Hi, this is John Olson. Thank you for joining us on the National Security This Week podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe so you'll receive a new edition of the podcast every week. Please leave us a review as well and tell others about us. And please contact us with any feedback or opinions you might have by emailing nstw at kymnradio.net. We hope you find the show informative and interesting. Thanks again. National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, April 27th, and you've joined us for National Security This Week. We get together here on KYMN Radio every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to discuss national security, and we're joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore American national security. I do have one quick announcement to make before we get going on our show today. You may recall that we had uh, the, the special agent in charge for the Drug Enforcement Administration here in the Twin Cities metro area, uh, part of the Omaha division back in January. And uh, I am on the distribution list now because of that, uh, that show for the DEA. The DEA is going to do the 22nd National Prescription Drug Take Back Day on Saturday, April 20th, just this coming Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., at more than 4,000 collection sites across the nation, including 162 sites in the five-state Omaha Division area. If you're interested in getting rid of unneeded medications, uh, it's a completely anonymous disposal. To locate a collection site, you can visit www.deatakeback.com. So there's a nation that has figured quite prominently in the ongoing crisis between Russia and Ukraine. This nation has hosted peace negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, and as a NATO member, is somewhat unique in the political, geographic, economic, and cultural makeup of the long-time strategic defense alliance. We're going to take a look at the country of Turkey today, and we have a deeply experienced career diplomat to lead us through this discussion. Our guest today is Ambassador Ross Wilson. You may recall he joined us back in January to discuss his experience as the U.S. Chargé d'Affaires to the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Over the course of four decades as a U.S. diplomat, Ambassador Wilson served as U.S. Ambassador to Azerbaijan from 2000 to 2003 and to Turkey from 2005 to 2008. And he held later assignments as Chargé d'Affaires in Turkey in 2014 and the Republic of Georgia from 2018 to 2019. Elsewhere overseas, Ambassador Wilson served at the U.S. embassies in Moscow and Prague and was Consul General in Melbourne, Australia. He was Principal Deputy to the Ambassador-at-Large and Special Advisor to the U.S. Secretary of State for the new independent states of the, of the former Soviet Union from 1997 to 2000. He also served as Deputy Executive Secretary of the U.S. State Department for Secretaries Jim Baker, Lawrence Eagleburger, and Warren Christopher, Chief of Staff to Deputy Secretary of State Robert Zellick, Chief U.S. Negotiator for the Free Trade Area of the Americas, and he worked in State Department offices dealing with the USSR and Egypt. From 2010 to 2014, Ambassador Wilson was director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center, where he led Atlantic Council work on Turkey, the former Soviet states, and regional energy, uh, economic and political issues and integration, and organized its annual energy and economic summits in Istanbul. In addition, he's been a visiting lecturer in international affairs at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and served on the boards of Global Minnesota and the Institute of Turkish Studies, as well as on advisory boards and councils of other nonprofit organizations active in international affairs. 
Ambassador Wilson received a bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota and master's degrees from both Columbia University and the U.S. National War College. He's a recipient of the U.S. President's Meritorious Service Award, as well as numerous U.S. Department of State awards and honors. He holds memberships in the Academy of American Diplomacy, the American Foreign Service Association, Diplomatic and Consular Affairs Retired, the Washington Institute of Foreign Affairs, and the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. He's married to Margot Squire, also a veteran of the U.S. Foreign Service, and they make their home in Wisconsin. Ambassador Ross Wilson, welcome to the studio today. It's good to have you here with us. Thank you. It's good to be here. A, a, a long drive down or a short one? Short drive. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> uh, ambassador Wilson, let, let me start our discussion today by asking you about your time as U.S. Ambassador to Turkey from 2005 to 2008, and then your return as Chargé d'Affaires in 2014. I think it'd probably help our listeners to get sort of a baseline understanding of Turkey. Uh, what was Turkey like during your time as ambassador, and then when you came back as Chargé, uh, I guess six years later, how had Turkey changed in those six years? So in the period 2005 to 2008, uh, the, the dominant and maybe overwhelming U.S. national security priority with respect to Turkey was Iraq. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and dealing with the aftermath of the American invasion of Iraq, which had been deeply, deeply uh, disruptive of U.S.-Turkish relations, the Turkish government, which was brand new at that time, uh, was uh, was not particularly interested. Uh, the American effort was hugely unpopular with the Turkish public. Uh, and I think from Turkey's point of view, uh, problems in the Middle East were being stirred up and it wasn't helpful to Turkish interests. Um, politically, uh, the, the, the mood and the shape of Turkey in that period was reformist. Uh, the government, uh, the country was uh, op opening a bid to... Uh, become a member of the European Union, uh, embarking on a series of reforms to sort of get to the point where talks could actually start. And those talks did start uh, several months before, uh, before I arrived in late, in late 2005. Uh, Erdogan, I think, in that period was regarded as a reformer. And certainly his government, which was a coalition of westernizers, uh, Islamists, political opportunists uh, and others, nationalists, um, uh, included a strong reformist streak that, that gave us a lot to work with on, uh, on issues of concern, uh, whether it was human rights uh, or economic conditions or business, uh, business interests of American firms, but also especially with, with, regard, with regard to Iraq. Uh, and by the end of the, my time there uh, and for several years after that, uh, Turkey quite supportive of U.S. efforts uh, in Iraq with respect to Syria, with respect to Iran, uh, and, uh, and the, the broader region around it. When I went back in 2014, um, Erdogan by that point was pretty uh, ossified in his position. The coalition around him had kind of crumpled. Uh, he had marginalized all, most of the other political bigwigs uh, that that. Uh, with whom he had formed the Justice and Development Party uh, in the 1990s. Um, he is more confident. Turkey is more confident. Um, a huge uh, economic resurgence had, had unfolded, began actually uh, in about 2001 or 2002. But by 2014, living standards for, for the average Turk uh, have dramatically improved. The confidence of the country had, had changed quite a great deal. 
uh, and the situation around Turkey had become arguably worse or more complicated uh, because now it, it, it's it's not just Iraq. Iraq actually, it, it in some ways, was calmer. Um, uh, but but both Iraq and Syria beset by the rise of the so-called Islamic State. Uh, Iran uh, engaged in the negotiations with the United States and others to resolve the, the, the matter of its nuclear development programs. The caucuses uh, simmering. Um, and uh, but but much more confident, much more kind of truculent, difficult, mm-hmm. uh, pugnacious might be might be another word, uh, and uh, a country seeking uh, to expand its role in the region, which for many, uh, both in Turkey and in the United States, looked like uh, at expanding its influence in the region at the expense of the United States. So, sort of a well, if I could go back, uh, you mentioned so the two thousand three time frame. There was a decision on the part of the United States and uh, a couple of close coalition members to go into Iraq. And part of that was the hope that we'd be able to use Incirlik out of Turkey. The Turks were not really in favor of that. They were not in favor of a two-front operation. Was that part of the challenge initially there, if we go back to um, that? The, 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 the beginning of the war absolutely right. was, was a big part of the calculation. The plans that General Franks had developed called not not just for the use of Interlick, but for the the tran- the transiting uh, of Turkish of, of Turkish territory by American forces uh, across uh, southern Turkey south southeastern Turkey and then moving those troops in a kind of a pincer from the north to match uh, the forces that were coming up from the south right uh, this this required under Turk the Turkish Constitution this required approval by the Parliament which the government sought and supported the military the Turkish military didn't particularly support it it was narrowly it narrowly the, the motion narrowly failed in the Turkish Parliament okay. General Franks had to kind of massively recalibrate uh, his plans at a time when when uh, thousands of American soldiers were bobbing in the water. Uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, off the Turkish coast, waiting, you know, w- waiting to proceed through Turkish territory. So it was deeply, deeply disruptive, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, of of our relationships uh, that had been built over the years, uh, and uh, and and set the stage for all kinds of problems in the period that followed. So it sounds to me that in the in between time that you just mentioned up before you went back in 2014, that there was this kind of huge economic surge uh, for the Turks and a growing sense of nationalism and and real regional power. I mean, is that sort of what you saw when we, when you went back in 2014? Um, I, I saw the reflection of that. Okay. Um, uh, Turks Turks wanted to be more assertive in the region. Um, it wasn't just Erdogan. This was a popular thing. Yeah. The citizens were more confident. They were richer. Uh, they, uh, I think, in, increasingly were of the mind that Tur- the Turkey and the Turkish government, the Turkish institutions, should play a greater role in shaping the character of the region around it, uh, and in dealing with their with 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 security issues, and not just be. Uh, Kind of the, as I like to put it, the direct object in others' sentences. <laughs> right. They wanted to be the subject of the sentences. <laughs> right. They wanted to be the determinants uh, and 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 the drivers. And looked at the United States, looked at Russia, looked at others, 
uh, as uh, as as outsiders um, who who perhaps had a role, often an important role. The U.S. relationship was always important to Turkey, even in difficult times. But um, uh, but uh, behaving certainly as seen in Washington in a much more pugnacious way. Okay, so we know that uh, Turkey sits at a at a crossroads between civilizations. It's always played a vitally important role, based almost wholly on its geography. Hey, could you talk a bit about the, the history of the region around Turkey? I know that as a career diplomat, you've spent a good part of your career moving around in that region. Turkey's influence on regional affairs really cannot be understated. Uh, what, what should we know broadly about the region around Turkey? In briefings that I gave to visiting members of Congress, I, I always like to start with a map. Mm-hmm. On the radio, we don't have a map, but, but I, I know that, that geography to Turkey's south is Syria, and and go around in a counterclockwise direction: Syria, Iraq, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, across the Black Sea, Russia, Ukraine, Bulgaria, yeah. Greece, Cyprus, um, and and not far away the the sort of the broader Middle East. Uh, and the whole set of conflicts between Arabs, Israelis, Palestinians. Um, uh, not far away, Europe, that that uh, Turkey is part of Europe, but it's also kind of not part of Europe. Right. Uh, the Anatolian landmass, I think generally regarded as, as, uh, as Asian or anyway not European. Um, it, these things... Um, it, at, at, at certainly at the time that I served there, at both periods when I served there, the these peripheral countries, Syria, Iraq, Iran, the Caucasus, Russia, Ukraine, these were the, the uh, most of the top priority foreign foreign affairs and defense security challenges that the United States faced. Mm-hmm. And really the only one, the only big one that Turkey was not more or less directly involved in was North Korea, because North Korea, <laughs> of course, is you know, very far away. And China, uh, pro- the challenges of China came along uh, a, a little bit later, I guess. Um, I think a second piece, Turkey is a kind of a crossroads because it's European and it's Asian. Uh, that has pluses and minuses. It, it's, it, it gives Turkey a kind of uh, ethnic uh, uh, and social diversity that, that we don't think about in the United States, but it is a it is a country of immigrants, yeah. uh, like sort of like the United States, immigrants from the collapsing Ottoman Empire, right. who came to Turkey from uh, from present day Syria, from Jordan, from the Caucasus, uh, from uh, present day Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, the, the Balkan countries, uh, Muslims, Turks, uh, perhaps ethnic Turks, but but. Uh, but when you ask people who they are, well, I'm I'm from Macedonia, or my family is Circassian, or we came from Jordan. It was quite quite interesting, and I hadn't hadn't sort of expected that. That crossroads feature also present presents some problems, both for Turks and for American interests. Uh, drug trafficking, big business right. through Turkey, right. terrorism, and the movement of terrorists. Through, across relatively open borders, um, in a relatively open and free society, um, big complication, particularly uh, in uh, in in that part of the world. We 
uh, we chose in the late 1940s to ally ourselves with Turkey because of where it was located. Right. Um, in a complicated Middle East, and in particular, um, kind of astride a the routes from Russia to, or the Soviet Union, to energy resources in the Middle East. Uh, and uh, at a time when Turkey was not a democracy, except in the most basic of form, um, and uh, and and as in in other countries, in in particularly East Central Europe, the the power of that alliance not only was advancing our interests, but but contributed to democratization, to modernization, to Westernization of a of a country that that since that time has been very important to our interests always a little bit problematic for one reason or another but uh, but that ge- the geography i think is uh, is one of the overwhelming reasons why turkey is important to the united states yeah so i guess we we probably should talk a little bit about uh turkey's president uh see if i say this correctly Re- uh, recep tayyip erdogan is that correctly yep okay uh, what's your assessment of the man? I mean, he's been in power now close to 20 years. Things have fundamentally changed in Turkey under his leadership. Uh, sounds like when you were there as ambassador, it was a very different country than it has be evolved to today. Uh, he's had a, just a tremendous impact on the nation of Turkey, on the people. Uh, what do you, I mean, what, what's your assessment of the man? Can you tell us a little bit about what what makes him tick? Erdogan, I think, sees himself as a uh, as a pivotal figure in shaping modern Turkey, akin to or the heir to uh, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, who uh, led the rescue of what was left of the Ottoman Empire after World War I, established the Republic of Turkey, uh, established its institutions, uh, uh, expelled foreign invading forces, uh, uh, Britain, France, Greece, and others uh, from the, the, the present, from present-day Turkey, established the borders, uh, put the country on a westernizing, uh, on a westernizing trajectory. Uh, Erdogan, I think, similarly sees himself as a, as a key figure in shaping, uh, shaping the, next, uh, the next phase. Um, he, uh, he, Erdogan comes out of rural roots in eastern Anatolia, um, and is, in a way, is for me was kind of typical of a, of his generation, um, rural, conservative, um, conservative politically, conservative in religious in a, in religious terms as well, um, Islamic in orientation, uh, and marginalized in in what the what the Republic of Turkey became, in part because of decisions that Ataturk made, but especially in the development of the country over the 30, 40 years after Ataturk's passing and, and, and uh, until more modern Turkey comes into shape. And in that, in that Turkey that, that Erdogan kind of politically comes to age in, uh, he was mayor of Istanbul in the 1990s, uh, rose to prominence a little bit before that. But in that Turkey that he comes to prominence in, there is this large swath of Turkish society that is is uh, rural in orientation, although much of that has started to move to the cities. 
that is cons- religiously conservative and that and that has an enormous distaste for what what these millions of people regarded as the kind of secularist overreach of of the system that that uh, that that Ataturk created, and especially that system as it as it became as it developed over the years, an almost atheistic state, yeah, uh, in in atheistic in a an a religious in a way that that you know in in America we have separation of church and state, but but the church is around and and uh, and it's and it's. Uh, either the church or the synagogue or the mosque are absolutely part of public life. Uh, at, at at Congress, when Congress opens, there's a prayer that's given given by a cleric. Uh, uh, wedding ceremonies um, generally involve some invocation of of matters of of faith and religious principles. Not in Turkey. Okay. As it as certainly it, it, we had a wedding at, at my residence when I was when I was there, and I was just struck by how completely a religious it it was. You sign some forms, you're given to, uh, some books about Turkish history, the War for Independence, mm. um, and uh, and um, uh, at, and and what what I kind of gathered from in in talking to people, there were lots of there were lots of Turks who resented that. And they especially resented their political marginalization. Erdogan's ability to tap into that sentiment was his ticket to political power in the first place. He has continued to to operate in those lanes. He's become more stridently nationalistic over the over the period. He's also become much much more confident in himself. He's as I mentioned earlier, he's marginalized all of the 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 five or six coalition leaders with whom he formed the Justice and Development Party, uh, a broad coalition that, that aimed to unite nationalists, Islamists, westernizers, um, uh, who, who wanted to get Turkey out of what some at least regarded as the rut that the country had gotten in uh, in, the, in the 1980s and 90s. Successfully uh, won election, uh, in the aftermath of a cataclysmic economic crisis, that election saw removed completely from parliament all of the parties that had been members of the coalition government <laughs> before. Uh, only The AKP only got 33% of the vote, has been extraordinarily successful uh, since then. Um, uh, obviously, that declines, declined a lot in the period over the course of the last several years. Many uh, now believe that Erdogan, uh, when he comes up for re-election as president, I think in 2024, may have a very tough time. He's no longer a new face. He's no longer a modernizer or a former bringing change. Yeah. He, he can't. It, it doesn't. It, it can't work that way. He's the establishment. Uh, and <laughs> and the and the economy has had has had plenty of problems over the over the last several years as well. Yeah. Uh, so for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Ambassador Ross Wilson, who served as U.S. Ambassador and later as Chargé d'Affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Turkey. And our topic is Turkey's importance on a geostrategic stage. So, Ambassador Wilson, let's shift into the kind of the past few years. Uh, the region around Turkey has been in, tor- in turmoil for kind of a decade now, Uh 
the attempted Syrian revolution, the rise and potential fall, we don't know yet, of the Islamic State, uh, Russian military and mercenary engagement in, inside Syria, uh, a rather meek coup attempt inside Turkey itself, uh, and the short war between Azerbaijan and Armenia over Nagorno-Karabakh. So lots of things happening. How, how have these crises shaped uh, current Turkish national security thinking and Turkish uh, foreign policy and actions? So I, I think the way that Turkish leaders look at these developments uh, around the country, um, it, it's through through two prisms. One is uh, what these developments mean for national security, and in particular, how can these developments be used to uh, to to bolster the role of Turkey in the region and in the world, how to take advantage of these. Uh, there are problems. Uh, problems, that's the way f uh, foreign affairs you know, yeah. re revolves around problems. But problems are always an opportunity as well, uh, maybe to, to leapfrog over that, the, the current today's set of problems uh, and, uh, and, and try to get somewhere. So I think in, uh, in, um, in Syria in particular, Turkey... Uh, Turkey saw an opportunity to play a greater role uh, in Syria as it had come to play a, a greater role in Iraq uh, in the in the 2010s, uh, and uh, and I think similarly it looks uh, Turkish leaders look at today's crisis in Ukraine, Russia, the Russia-Ukraine war uh, as uh, as a serious set of national security challenges to be sure. Um, but but also through the prism, how to use this to uh, so that coming out of it, Turkey's role will be greater than it was before. I think a second big uh, and, and, and extremely important prism through which Turkish leaders look at this that I haven't mentioned already is the matter of Kurds. Mm. Um, uh, Turkey is a, as a, is a multi-ethnic country. Uh, the the sort of second largest uh, ethnic group in the country are, are Kurds, uh, roughly fifteen to twenty percent of the population, uh, historically principally in the south and the southeast. Um, historically, uh, the the principal internal national security problem that that obsessed Turkish leaders in the nineteen thirties, Ataturk basically carried out warfare. To deal with with the problem of Turkish of Kurdish insurgency, a uh, a Kurdish a Turkish Kurdish nationalist named Abdullah Ocalan founded a, a a terrorist organization in the 1980s uh, to to strike at, at at Turkey and Turkish interests. Uh, it has acolytes in uh, in Syria, in Iraq, and Iran. Uh, that that all and they 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 occupy or work in the mountainous regions where those three countries more or less come together, um, and and so uh, Turkey has looked particularly at, at at the problems in Syria, Iraq, and to some extent Iran through this prism of Kurds and and what they regard as uh, as potential existential threats to the to the unity of the country. Uh, and to their rule that uh, that Kurds uh, that Kurds present, America's alignment uh, in the in uh, in the fight against the Islamic State in Syria and to some extent Iraq with Kurdish nationalist groups uh, brought us kind of 
pretty directly into conflict. And yeah. at, at a certain point, they were even in shooting conflict. <clears throat> uh, and uh, at, there was a period in the, 19, in the 2010s when it seemed like that could be avoided. Uh, the uh, Turkish government under, under, I think, then Prime Minister Erdogan engaged in negotiations with, with, the, with certain Kurdish nationalist leaders, uh, including those affiliated with Ocalan's movement, the so-called PKK. Um, it, it, it didn't pan out. Uh, if it had, I think things would have been easier for us. Turkey remains deeply involved and far more deeply involved than we are in Syria, uh, specifically to, uh, to, to manage what they regard as this PKK problem. Also have been active militarily recently uh, in northern Iraq, uh, going after PKK leaders, yeah. leaders as well. Uh, yeah, over the last few years, they've launched a military offensive in into Syria to go not really after the Syrians, uh, but to go after the Kurdish uh, forces that are in that area. I do recall that back in 2003, one of the ideas that had been floated was to break uh, Iraq up into three different uh, regional areas based on sort of ethnic breakdown. And when the proposal was, hey, we, maybe we should create a, an actual Kurdish nation, uh, Turkey was one of the most uh, vocally opposed to that idea. Uh, it goes right in line with what you've just been talking about here, uh, the way the Turks view the Kurds as a whole. The, 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 the Turks viewed the, the establishment of the Kurdistan regional government, in which we were uh, very much involved uh, in the aftermath of our, our invasion in 2003, as, a, as an existential threat to their country. Yeah. They, they, uh, they, they came to form a kind of an alliance with the leadership of the KRG, particularly Masoud Barzani uh, and those around him. And, and their relationship now is actually quite good. Oh. Uh, Barzani historically fought the PKK. Okay. Uh, it wasn't just anti-Turkish. It was also, uh, it was also a Marxist-Leninist movement that, yeah. that aimed to unseat uh, traditional rulers, traditional power brokers, uh, throughout the the part of the world where 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 Kurds uh, where Kurds live. Um, it's also worth noting there there is there's another part of the history with respect to Syria. Uh, in uh, in 2011, the uprising, the Arab, the so-called Arab Awakening, uh, erupts in Syria. Uh, there are are strident movements against uh, against uh, President Assad and his government that are brutally put down uh, by uh, uh, by the Syrian uh, security forces. Uh, Erdogan and, and Turkey allied with the United States in in calling for an end to that, in calling for Assad to go, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and in fact were were apparently cooperating on plans to carry out military action. Uh, against the Syrian authorities in the wake of Assad's use of chemical weapons against Syrian civilians, I think in 2013. Yeah. Um, which at the very last minute, President Obama uh, backed away from. Yeah. Uh, and and it and it it, uh, it 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 was a bit of a prelude to some of the problems with respect to Kurds, and and added to distrust and mistrust, uh, and and a and a and a. Uh, breakdown of of what had become pretty good communications collaboration between our two countries uh in 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 Syria and Iraq where both of us are deeply involved yeah when we think about this uh the regional area there 
one last question on this topic, and then I think I want to move over to Turkey's role in NATO. But if you think about the the Islamic world, uh, Saudi Arabia has always been sort of the head of the Sunni aspect of the religion, and Iran representing the Shia portion of of, uh, of Islam. There are about 15%, I think, of total Muslims are Shia. Uh, Turkey being a secular state in theory, but has has become really an Islamist state under Erdogan. Uh, predominantly Sunni, is that correct? Turkey is predominantly Sunni. Um, the, 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 the principal other uh, Muslim-oriented group are Alevis, which are not, they're not they're not Shia, although they're I, I I believe they share some of the same principles. But a a group that historically has similarly been ostracized in uh, in Sunni majority countries. I think um, there there are these poles that yeah. you you identify Saudi Arabia and and, and Iran. Turkey, so, so where does Turkey fit? Turkey into that? <laughs> well, to Turkey certainly the Turkey that I knew. Um, saw itself as a as a as a third pole. Okay. Um, and 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 Erdogan articulated this uh, uh, too. In, in um, uh, he rejected uh, and his his movement rejects the idea of rule by monarchies. Um, they're in favor of more democratic governance, or at least popular election of of leaders, popular anointment of leaders. Um, and, uh, and, and because Turkey has a, a foot both in the, in the Muslim world and in the Western world as a member of NATO and as a modernizer and as a country that more or less successfully, certainly in their eyes, has put together, uh, uh, Again, particularly under under Erdogan, and remember the the, the sort of modifications that that he's associated with to the extremes of Ataturk rule. Turkey, having done a pretty good job of mixing uh, mixing um, Islam, Sunniism, and secularism, Western values, saw sees itself as a as a as a third and alternative pole. Uh, and I think that I think that still is out there. It's less Islamist than than I think you think in in some respects. Um, it it's not it it's an exporter of Turkish interests, an exporter of Turkish nationalism, m- much more than it's an exporter of Islam per se. Sure, which yeah. I think distinguishes itself somewhat from either Saudi Arabia or Iran. Yeah, very much so. Let's talk about uh, Turkey's role in NATO. Uh, I, ha- I have to imagine that some of your diplomatic engagement with Turkey re- revolved around NATO-related issues. What, what role has Turkey traditionally played in NATO, and how has that role changed as Turkey's transformed over the last, say, decade? You know, Turkey is was was not in the, not one of the founding members of NATO, but was in the first tranche of expansion in 1951 or 52, I believe, uh, together with Greece. Um, it, in the Cold War, I think Turkey's role uh, was particularly important to us as a as a kind of blocking place and a bulwark and a and a and a base for uh, for uh, for NATO for American and other forces uh, monitoring the Soviet Union 
and and positioned in a way potentially to block them. It also played an important role with respect to the uh, Turkish Straits, uh, the Dardanelles and the Bosphorus that between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean, uh, and in controlling the traffic of of warships. Uh, there were, uh, I, I am told, uh, uh, plans if in the event that the Cold War became a hot war to basically close that strait uh, militarily by, uh, you know, mines and, and other things for, for real good, real good reasons. Yeah. In the more in the more present day sense, um, I, I think NATO remains very important to Turkey because it's it's one of their one of their tickets to being in the big leagues. Um, uh, they like being part of a big alliance, and they like being part of a big alliance that operates by consensus mm-hmm. so they can protect their interests. They get a say uh, in what goes on. Uh, Turkey has been active in most of the uh, NATO uh, international deployments. When I was in Afghanistan, uh, Turkish uh, Turkish forces played a, a very significant role uh, in the Balkans, uh, played a significant role in other 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 areas uh, where Turkish forces have been present. Lots of frictions yeah. uh, over the course of the last, uh, last several years, uh, particularly uh, over, uh, over Turkey's acquisition of an air defense system, the S-400 uh, from Russia, uh, the, the, uh, that, that ultimately um, led to its, uh, uh, its removal from the Joint Strike Fighter program, uh, which had been extremely important to to Turkey to be part of that, uh, both both on general principles, so that they had the best uh, the best air uh, technology uh, that that could be obtained, but also they saw it as as a vehicle to uh, modernize and strengthen their own aviation industries that were going to play a role in the Joint Strike Fighter. Right. It's that's been extremely disruptive, and it it's uh, it's never really been resolved. Um, neither neither the governments, uh, our administrations in Washington, nor the Turks have really wanted to take the last steps uh, that 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 um, that could have far-reaching consequences. Uh, and I think it goes back to this matter of Turkey's geography and the role in the region <laughs> in a dangerous part of the world, with Russia now on the move and and posing increasing challenges for. Um, uh, for American Western security, we need to be we need to be adding uh, to that alliance, not subtracting from right. it, and and, right. and 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 certainly not promoting policies that lead to a weakening of the of the NATO alliance. And, and that brings me to sort of a I think a, a kind of a fascinating uh, topic that's come up. Turkey's been host to Russia and Ukraine as those two nations attempt to bring hostilities to an end. Uh, Russia's been the the aggressor, clearly, in this uh, crisis. Um, Turkey actually shot down a Russian aircraft during the conflict in Syria, interestingly enough. Uh, so two questions for you. Why is Turkey, as a NATO member, an actual NATO member, accepted by Russia as a fair arbiter for hosting these negotiations between Russia and Ukraine? And secondly, what does it say about Turkey's perspective that they would offer to host Russia and Ukraine uh, for these talks when it seems like all the other NATO allies are doing everything possible to distance themselves from Russia and, and really to kind of punish Russia for these actions? I think Turkey's response to uh, the crisis over Ukraine has has um, has has uh, can be highlighted by a couple of things. 
One is this aspiration for a greater Turkish role in the region. Uh, these are not far away countries as far as Turkey is concerned. They're right there. Right. Uh, and and Russia historically um, occupied or controlled the, the, the Armenia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, the Caucasus. So, you know, a, a land border is, is between Russia and Turkey is, is in the relatively recent past. And certainly they might be concerned that it could become part of the future as well. So they want to be in there and they want to try to shape this. I don't think they regarded the the mediation effort as contrary to what everybody else was trying to do, which was trying to avoid the crisis mm -hmm. uh, when uh, as it erupted in January and the first part of February. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so I think that's important. At the same time, Turkey has... Um, uh, has shown quite a bit of support for the government in Ukraine. Uh, it is it is supplying uh, military weaponry, drones in particular, right. uh, that have been uh, reportedly very helpful to the Ukrainian forces. Um, Turkey is a is a big, big, big consumer of Russian natural gas, uh, like like Germany and and Italy, but maybe more so. They will suffer deeply, very deeply, if those uh, if those supplies of natural gas get uh, get uh, disrupted or compromised, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and and so I think in in part because of that, uh, they 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 match this this support for Ukraine and the uh, commercially very interesting uh, uh, proposition. I'm I'm sure selling Ukraine uh, modern weaponry. This, these are not gifts. I, I, I expect. Um, uh, they they match that with uh, with um, with with efforts to try to keep probing for ways to defuse the crisis. Um, they have not turned away uh, Russians who uh, who have fled Russia for one reason or another. Um, uh, both uh, sort of Westernized Russians who who don't like the direction that Putin is leading the country. Uh, in which Putin is leading the country, as well as uh, Russian oligarchs looking to park their money. Right. <laughs> uh, and there's been a fair bit of that. Some of those Russian yachts that, that one yeah. reads about, those have, those have pitched up in, in Turkish ports. They're playing several games there. Sure. Uh, but, uh, but I think uh, I, I, uh, it's, it's less problematic for, for America, less problem. It has, so far at least, been less problematic for our interests than uh, than. Uh, than the path that Hungary has taken, which is, uh, which is politically supporting NATO's decision and certainly not blocking consensus, uh, which, which is which is a good thing, but uh, but also uh, providing a lot more support to to Putin than to uh, than than to uh, Ukraine on the on the part of Hungary. And, and I know you're very familiar with the the whole situation over Nagorno Karabakh. Do, do you think Erdogan learned a lesson from the the recent war uh, and and the role that Putin played in in the negotiations for bringing an end to that conflict and how it came to be, it would, would did Turkey get sort of boxed out on that? And they're trying to make sure that they have a bigger say now. I mean, am I or am I reading too much into that? Uh, I'm not real familiar with with all the all the details of how things got worked out. Um, it's my understanding that Turkey ended up uh, with a bigger role in the Caucasus than it had before. Um, uh, and in particular, militarily, with uh, with the Azeris and their and a bigger military presence of Turkey's own, 
uh, in Azerbaijan. It also, though, opened up, again, you, you don't look at this through overly hostile prisms, it opened up the way for Turkey potentially to normalize relations with Armenia, mm. um, to, uh, to add to Turkish trade routes and opportunities to the countries of Central Asia, uh, to Azerbaijan, but also the, to the Turkic-speaking countries beyond in Central Asia. Otherwise, the routes all go through Russia, which oh, is, yeah. you know, maybe not real interesting. <laughs> Uh, and, and in any case, you want it, you want to have options. Turkey sought in, in 2008, beginning in late 2007, to normalize ties with Armenia. That, that fell apart. Uh, in the aftermath of the Nagorno-Karabakh war, the recent Nagorno-Karabakh war, uh, according to media reports, Armenian and, uh, and Turkish representatives were to meet, I believe in Moscow, ironically, uh, to try to um, to try to either revive that normalization process or to establish a new one. If there was any kind of Russian mediating role in that effort, it didn't it didn't make the newspapers. I'm I'm not aware of it. It it, it could well be there, uh, but but that's basically a good thing I, I think in terms of American interest. Yeah. Uh, so for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Ambassador Ross Wilson, who has served as U.S. Ambassador and later as Charge des Affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Turkey. And we're talking about Turkey's importance in the, on the geostrategic stage. Uh, so, Ambassador Wilson, let's talk about opportunities for the United States with regard to Turkey. Uh, how do you see Turkey's regional influence shaping the region over the next decade or so, and what should the United States do to either support or... I don't know, maybe hedge bets with regards to Turkey's development. Uh, it's, it strikes me, and your, your question kind of answers itself, it strikes me that, <laughs> that, that we want to find ways to, uh, to work with Turkish leaders where there are opportunities for common cause uh, and that, on that, that, that swath of countries all around Turkey's perimeter that, that historically have been important for American security and, and other interests going back for many decades and find ways to hedge our bets. Uh, and in the, in, the, in the hedging bets department, uh, I would include um, uh, working further to develop uh, America's relationship with Armenia, which has to look at what's happening in, uh, in Ukraine with horror. Uh, uh, working with the countries of, of Central Asia, where Turkey ha has uh, some ethnic and language uh, ties and, and commercial presence that that is a that's a more extensive than America's, and a kind of counter counterpart uh, to to that of Russia and of China. You know, how how can we how can we work both work work with the Turks and develop our own uh, our own ties and and relationships. Um, uh, work with uh, work with Greece, with Cyprus uh, on matters of Eastern Mediterranean uh, uh, security and stability, but also energy development, um, uh, which which has been big business uh, in in the Eastern Mediterranean for the last ten or fifteen years, and and will grow because there's some massive gas deposits offshore. Uh, off, off the shores of Cyprus and, and as you head down toward Lebanon and Syria, uh, Lebanon and, and Israel, I should say. And, uh, and so, you know, there, uh, Turkey isn't the solution to all of our problems by any means. Erdogan continues to lead the country in directions that are, 
not always in our interest and and, right. and 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 at least rhetorically running quite contrary to our interests. Right. <laughs> um, but the wheel of politics turns in Turkey like it turns everywhere else. Uh, Erdogan's political position is is uh, is probably weaker now than at any time since the AKP came to power, uh, and. Um, and I think at a certain point, the, the Turkish public will tire of of his leadership and, and what it represents. If nothing else, the demographics, you know, uh, I, I'm sure at this point, a majority of Turkish voters, uh, young people, maybe very young people, when Erdogan uh, came to office in 2003, uh, they know nobody, they really, in their mature political lives, they don't know another leader after after a couple of decades, that gets to be kind of old, uh, and there I think our everything we can do through uh, through exchange programs, through leadership programs, through uh, 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 political engagement, another engagement that our embassy uh, can organize, we should be working hard to cultivate ties among the next generation, which which one which we can see on the on the horizon. Uh, uh, will become more important over the next five, seven years. Sounds to me like you're talking a little bit about public diplomacy. Public, di- <laughs> public diplomacy, it's, it's, the, it's the soft power stuff. It's, 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 uh, it, it, it almost never pays off today, but it's the kind of tending to the garden, uh, you know, the pruning and the, and, the, and the plowing and the fertilizing and, and yeah. developing ties, developing relationships, familiarity, uh, uh, there were senior people in, in Erdogan's government when I served there who'd been in the United States on Fulbright, uh, Fulbright Exchange, on leadership programs, uh, on, for other, other purposes. They knew a little bit about our country through direct, mm-hmm. you know, directly from having, having been here. They weren't necessarily or certainly not uniformly pro-American, but, but they understood us in a way that, that was a little bit different, and I think that's helpful. And it's the work that embassies do. They're developing ties for the next generation. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure my uh, my successors in Accra are working hard on that. I, I suspect that there's a member of your household who will be very happy that we brought up that topic of uh, public diplomacy. Definitely. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit. Uh, one last topic before I, uh, we close out for today. What do you make of Turkey's efforts in in Libya? Uh, or other broader international efforts Turkey's making to wield influence these days. Um, are, are these Turkish foreign policy initiatives helpful or hurtful to American interests? Um, you know, each each one of the the kind of the regional hornet's nests uh, where Turkey has stuck its nose is different. Some uh, sometimes supportive of what we're trying to do, or or at least complementary to what we're trying to do and others quite contradictory uh, Syria I think being being a prominent example in that respect Turkey's also been uh, very active for the last 15 years or so in Africa mm-hmm. uh, establishing embassies and consulates where they hadn't had any establishing direct air connections from Istanbul to uh, uh, capitals all over Africa that have given a, a big commercial inroad that's been seen by some as uh, some in, in the United States is kind of unwelcome expansion of Turkey's Islamist interests. Uh, it Maybe it's definitely expanding Turkey's influence uh, it, to the extent that it's a counter to China. And yeah. Chinese influence probably a good thing, uh, particularly in the absence of other basically pro-Western uh, 
commercial, economic, political security interests. I think I think those those things can be can be helpful to us. They these these matters haven't been at the center of of U.S. Turkey conversation, Syria, uh, not Syria, Libya, uh, Africa, uh, even Central Asia. Uh, the, the the topics that have been at the top of the agenda, and I think will continue to be at the top of the agenda, are those countries right around the right sure. around the, the periphery uh, that that remain so important to us. The one other I just note from my most recent uh, my most recent experience overseas is Afghanistan. Uh, Turkey still has an embassy in Afghanistan. Uh, they have a, a a kind of sort of relationship with the Talibs that goes back to before this. Uh, Taliban seizure of power uh, in September last year. Um, they uh, they um, they can help us, I think, uh, in 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 figuring out way because they're on the ground mm-hmm. in figuring out ways to influence what's going on there uh, and hopefully put that country on a, on a stronger trajectory. It, it was not a point of particular disagreement over the last 20 years. Uh, and, and I'm not sure it would be going forward. Uh, so ambassador Wilson, I'll, I close out, let's close out the discussion today. Like, like I kind of always do at the end of the show, giving my guests the, the opportunity to provide any last thoughts on our, on our topic of the day. Uh, today it's Turkey. Uh, what haven't we talked about today that we probably should have, uh, is there anything else that, uh, that you think we should cover? Uh, that comes to mind in your in your broad experience in in Turkey. Uh, the only other comment to make is maybe on a, in a more personal sense. Turkey is is ext- is it, it was when I was there, and I think still is extremely interesting. It's basically, a very pro-American country. Uh, it is America is popular there. It's the country to which Turks send their students for university education. Turkey is is extremely important for all those geographical and and other re- other reasons. It has a ton of history, yeah, uh, going back uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Early, early Christianity, uh, 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 the Jewish world, both before Christianity and in the period after that, um, uh, and a, a, a very serious uh, legacy of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so when one travels around, it's just it's 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 unbelievable how much how much one can see that goes back hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, uh, and 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 experience. We had a great time there. Uh, it's it 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 was an extremely challenging uh, assignment uh, for me. It's a very difficult country to work with, uh, in in a lot of ways, as as many other great powers are or can be from time to time. Um, we 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 need Turkey, and we have to find ways to continue to work with it. While, as I suggested earlier, not uh, not going overboard uh, <laughs> in that department, uh, or uh, or. Uh, abandoning other interests that we have around the country's periphery. Yeah. So unfortunately, we've come to the end of our, our show for today, uh, for today's edition of National Security This Week. Ambassador Wilson, Ross Wilson, thank you so much for joining us again today to talk about Turkey. Thank you. Uh, that closes this week's edition of National Security This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining us again today. I look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., 
Uh, one final reminder, uh, as I started the show today, I talked about the Drug Enforcement Administration will be holding its 22nd National Prescription Drug Take Back Day on Saturday, April 30th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you want to find out if there's a place for, for you to get rid of your uh, old medications, you can look up www.deatakeback.com. Thank you for listening to National Security This Week here on KYMN Radio. Have a great finished year week, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week.